Hello and welcome to the Global Insight from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. I'm your host, Charles Hecker, bringing you clear insight every two weeks in an age of increasingly dynamic risk and intensifying connectivity. In our last episode, we looked at the effect lockdowns have had on civil unrest and activism, interrupting street-level demonstrations while simultaneously intensifying the underlying socioeconomic and political stressors. This week, we'll be discussing another aspect of society that has been intensified by lockdown, and that is domestic abuse. Many victims of domestic abuse have found themselves trapped in situations with abusive members of their household, a fact made all too visible by dramatic increases in calls to helplines across the globe. While governments and community organizations certainly have a role to play here, the obligation to work from home has blurred the line between the personal and the professional, raising questions about corporate duty of care. For those who cannot work from home, corporate decisions about reopening and social distancing are as personal as they are economic. Let's meet our experts. Joseph Smith is a senior analyst in our Global Issues Group, and he's based in London. Joe, thanks for dialing in. Thanks, Chuck. Kimberly Burnell is an associate director in our crisis and security consultancy and is based in our Washington, D.C. office. Kim, thanks a lot for joining. Thank you, Chuck. Joe, let's just jump right in and do two things at once if we can. Can you frame the picture for us a bit and tell us about the data that's supporting this growth in cases? Well, a lot of victims of domestic abuse don't actually report these crimes to the authorities or or actually always seek help. So some of the data that we have is based on things like you mentioned in your introduction, an an increase in calls to domestic abuse helplines, visits to domestic abuse charity websites, or, or even a rise in searches for terms like domestic violence or domestic abuse on on search engines. But most of the data that we do have points to that fact that you mentioned, that there has been this global rise in the incidence of domestic violence with the imposition of lockdowns or other restrictions since the outbreak of COVID-19. The data as well is quite difficult to compare from one country to the other because we're measuring different things. We're measuring increase in calls to domestic abuse helplines or reports to the police or whatever it may be. But there does seem to be this consistent rise. So I was looking at a UN report recently that found that reports of domestic violence had increased by 30% in France in the weeks after the lockdown began there. Emergency calls relating to domestic violence rose by 25% in Argentina. But we're seeing very similar things across countries as disparate and geographically far apart as Brazil, Mexico, the UK, Lebanon, China, Malaysia, the list goes on really. Kimberly, is this something that we might have expected? Should we have seen this coming? And, you know, is this something that lockdown was bound to make worse? I think it is expected. If I could draw a comparison to natural disasters, uh, the Texas Council on Family Violence, along with the Institute on Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault, along with the University of Texas, did a study after Hurricane Harvey dumped 19 trillion gallons of of water on Texans and found a marked increase in 
the effect of that natural disaster on increases in intimate partner violence. We saw similar increases after the uh, deep water horizon oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, after the post-Haitian earthquake, and then after the tsunami in Sri Lanka. A lot of similar increases here due to those increases in stressors, depression, worries about economic effects. So yes, I think that this was to be expected. I think all of us understood that, number one, a pandemic was probably or should have been on everybody's risk register, and that you're absolutely right to point to analogous examples where people who are isolated for prolonged periods of time because of a natural disaster or who are experiencing this spike in stress, whether it's economic stress or personal stress, professional, family, that that's the combination that that is the warning signal. Just to add to what Kim said, I think as well, there are some specific features or some specific factors around this situation, which would have also made this something that we should have foreseen. And that is, of course, that close contact with members of the same household can alone increase the likelihood of abuse. The imposition of lockdowns themselves, government stay-at-home orders, stay-at-home advisories are obviously likely to have exacerbated the problem where it pre-existed in individual households. Another point to highlight as well is that combating the virus by enforcing social distancing has in, in some respects, disrupted a lot of the domestic abuse prevention or intervention programs that are otherwise available to victims. So things like rehousing programs, in some cases, shelters have had to close because they've turned into temporary health facilities, or new victims aren't being admitted because they need to maintain social distancing with pre-existing residents. For both of you, really, whoever wants to jump in, tell us a little bit about best practice for companies in this area. I mean, the point is that, you know, we're all sitting in our homes right now, but at the exact same time, we're sitting in our offices. And so, you know, with this blurring of where is work and where is home, how do companies manage this? Similar to what Joe said about the disruption to rehousing and shelters being closed in midst of the pandemic, one of the best practices for employers is to simply be aware of the increased risk of domestic violence during this pandemic. And similarly, to make their employees aware, particularly their frontline managers and coworkers, aware of the resources that are available. In this instance, employee assistance programs or EAPs are your VIPs. So if they're not already staffed, they should be staffed up along with the capabilities that are in a remote workforce situation and have a robust list of local providers that are opened. While shelters, food banks, legal aid offices, child care, rape crisis centers, some of these facilities and critical resources have been impacted. It underscores the need for employers to have, at the very local level, have a list of those facilities that are opened and have their EAPs be able to provide that information to employees who are affected by domestic violence during the pandemic. This sounds like something that's fairly well developed as far as support networks and response in the U.S. Is that generally your view? It is. I think sometimes you do have a problem with some employees in the workforce not recognizing that domestic violence is a workplace problem. So here in the States, the OSHA standards, there's not a specific workplace violence standard per se, but OSHA's general duty 
clause generally requires employers to maintain a safe workplace. And that includes making it safe from workplace violence concerns. And among the typologies is a domestic violence recognition, a domestic violence typology that recognizes domestic violence as being a potential workplace problem to the extent that it spills over into the workplace. So um, I think the opportunity to train employers, to train employees, to train co-workers, frontline managers on the fact that domestic violence is a workplace problem, it can spill over into the workplace. For example, when a an employee returns to the workplace, he or she could use the opportunity to escape her abuser. And that can present a a problematic situation for the workplace. The abuser may not know where the victim employee lives, but he or she certainly knows where they work. And so that can present a problem to the workplace in terms of a workplace violence concern. Kim and Joe, parts of the world are already beginning to exit the acute phase of the pandemic. Uh, How do you see this problem evolving as the world and as the business world moves into recovery from the pandemic? Well, just to cite a report from the UN, again, the UN Population Fund in late April, it estimated that should lockdowns continue for six months, they were estimating an additional 31 million cases of gender-based violence, a lot of which is is going to be domestic in nature. As you say, of course, uh, in reality, governments are easing restrictions or announcing plans to do so and are gradually moving towards this sort of recovery phase in, in many parts of the world, moving away from those most stringent stay-at-home instructions. For many victims, that will have course, at the most basic level, reduce their contact with abusive partners or or household members and may make it easier for them to access help. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that incidents of domestic violence are going to fall to pre-COVID-19 levels just with the lifting of those restrictions. Firstly, of course, because restrictions are being lifted unevenly. In many places, yes, we're moving towards a new normal with the lifting of restrictions, but in other places, that's not happening. In many places, we're seeing restrictions being reimposed, and there's certainly the prospect that that may continue to take place over the coming months. Secondly, because in the longer term, obviously, the economic and social consequences of COVID-19 are going to continue to play out, and, and Kim mentioned earlier how they can impact domestic abuse, that could contribute further to, to heightened levels of abuse or violence going forward. And then thirdly, I was talking about some of the services and programs that act as intervention opportunities, prevention opportunities for victims of, of domestic abuse. In the longer run, those services and programs too are going to face some challenges. Governments in in some parts of the world have made attempts to allocate more resources to ensuring the the safety of victims of domestic abuse as a result of COVID-19. They've prioritized this issue. But in the long run, of course, these programs, uh, along with many others, are going to find themselves competing with other services for funding from governments, from donors, if they're run by charities, during what is likely to be a fairly significant economic downturn at at a global level when funding is under pressure. I think upon return to the workplace, recognizing all the, the challenges that the COVID pandemic has presented to employers, employers will rightfully be focused on virus suppression, screening measures, face masks, temperature checks, distancing employees from one another. 
It's a great time to recognize signs of domestic violence, employees that have been particularly affected by the silent pandemic of domestic violence during the COVID pandemic. By firstly recognizing that in cases of domestic violence, return to the work site may be the very first opportunity a victim has to escape her abuser. And uh, it also conversely represents a loss of control to the abuser and can become actually a trigger and present an elevated concern for risk of violence at the workplace. Simply being cognizant of the increased risk upon return to the work site is, is important. But employers should also consider victim employee may be reluctant to ask for time off to tend to, to needs that he or she may have, such as seeking shelter, seeking legal assistance, caring for children who could be affected, and other services. They may be worried about adverse consequences to their employment. And so the employers can take a reassuring role that a victim can have that opportunity to go out and seek those services. When you and Joe co-wrote the piece on domestic violence for our online service, one of the things that that article discusses is that this increase is coming in situations that were already abusive. In other words, victims are coming into more contact with abusers that were already in their lives. Can we take this moment of visibility, Kim, and turn it into some sort of opportunity to really make some progress on this issue? I think we can, Chuck. I think the time for employers, if they don't have a robust domestic violence policy that's integrated into their larger workplace violence prevention policy, now's the time to do it. If education on that policy and training on the nuances of a policy aren't in place, now is the time to do it. And implementing those safety measures, looking to see, for example, if a, a victim has a domestic violence protective order, have they provided a copy uh, to the employer, especially if it prohibits the abuser from coming to the workplace. And so really taking the opportunity for enhanced training and really having the employer become a part of that safety plan from a support perspective and really robustly improving those EAP systems and making sure that up-to-date services are in the queue for employers so that they can make sure that they help their employees get the services they need. And recognizing that each case of domestic violence is different. Each victim may have different needs. Some may be similar, but but each victim may have unique needs, such as a child care, rape crisis clinic needs, food bank needs, and having employers listen for those unique needs of their employee and then provide those through their EAPs as services. They can really make a difference and really show a a strong culture of support and caring within their workforce that will endure to come. It's one of the things that's coming to the surface among the many that the unusual circumstances of, of the COVID-19 pandemic have brought to our attention and turning this into some sort of, of pivotal moment in the way businesses work could go so far in doing so much good to addressing such a, a critical underlying issue. Joe, as you were working on the piece that went up onto the online system, what else did you observe about how how business gets involved? And and again, this sort of crossing over this, this blurring of, of the home and the workplace and, and the future role that, that business needs to assume. 
it goes back to the point that you were making in your in your introduction about the whole work from home phenomenon that we've been going through over the last few months, raising questions about how far that duty of care extends. Does it extend beyond the office into our home life as well? As Kim mentioned, this period does provide an opportunity for businesses to, I guess, put their best foot forward. If our living room is now also our office, businesses can show themselves to be to be caring and to be looking after their employees during this time. I know that that's something that we've been talking about quite a lot is in in the coming months, how will people look back on what businesses did during the pandemic? And I think those companies that take the more expansive approach to defining their duty of care and to incorporating issues around domestic violence, domestic abuse will be looked on more favorably by by the general public and, and by their staff as well. Meanwhile, of course, those that don't take such a expansive approach might find themselves coming under a lot more scrutiny as we go forward. Employers should recognize that the abuser may use the pandemic as a scare tactic to keep the victim at home and isolated from others. They may withhold, for example, essential items such as food, uh, sanitizers, masks, toiletries. And the victim may have unexplained changes in behavior such as an unreasonable refusal to participate in, in remote team video conferencing. There may be indications that the abuser is listening or monitoring work communications, which can have significant impact on the employer from a data privacy perspective. If the abuser is monitoring a, an employee's uh, work from home communications, you may see that in changes in tone or style in their correspondence. So educating frontline managers who will be most often interacting with employees, remote working is really critical in understanding and recognizing certain COVID remote working signs of domestic violence. And just paying attention and, and asking, asking reasonable questions. You know, how are you doing? How are you making it during this pandemic? I'll be critical. Someone who refuses to participate in video teleconferencing may just be embarrassed about the condition of their home, or it could be a sign of domestic violence. So paying attention, asking questions, and considering context is really important. Joe, one of the other nuances in connection with the COVID crisis and domestic abuse is that some companies are doing well through the pandemic, the tech companies that are supporting our working from home, the delivery companies that are helping us through the isolation. And in some cases, their employees may be doing well during the crisis. But that may mask other things that are going on in the household. Is that not right? Definitely. I think it certainly can mask some of the things that may be going on in their households. As we've already talked about, financial security, financial stability may or, or lack thereof may be a, a life stressor that can make the incidence of domestic abuse, domestic violence more, more likely. And if those employees are feeling fairly financially secure, maybe feeling fairly confident in their jobs, or fairly safe in their jobs, that doesn't mean that those other people that they live with in their households, their partners, other members of their household may not be going through more difficult situations. To Joe's point, even for companies that are doing well and their businesses are thriving during the pandemic, the issue of workplace violence and particularly domestic violence that spills into the workplace can still 
affect companies that are still hitting their stride. They can do so in, in three ways. Uh, the first is, is safety. If an employee is a victim of domestic violence, someone in their household at home that is being affected by stressors, losing their uh, job in the household, that, that person can still pose safety risk to the workplace. The second is security. For example, if there's an unstable work environment, whether it's the employee or someone in their home, that abusers can control. Uh, if, if the stressor contributes to abuse, uh, they can listen or monitor to, to work communications, which can, again, provide a security issue for a thriving company. And the third is productivity. An employee who has family members in the home who are, are victims of domestic violence are simply going to be distracted and won't have the usual level of focus to be able to produce and perform in their jobs. But the good news is that employers can make a, a difference uh, in this situation by appropriately scaled training, knowing how to escalate signs of concern. Companies can prevent a tragedy from occurring while building a strong team rooted in trust and, and mutual support along the way. I think that's about all the time we have for this episode of the Global Insight. Kimberly, thank you very much for dialing in. Thank you, Chuck. And Joseph Smith, thank you also for your contributions. Thanks very much. That's all for this episode of the Global Insight. Stay updated with new episodes of the Global Insight every other week by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to check out our other podcasts as well, such as our five-part series on regional risks in conjunction with our 2020 Risk Map update. You can follow all our analysis and find out how Control Risks is helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com. Bye for now.